Walk It, Bike It, Ayrshire podcast is a creation of the Active Travel Hub Kilmarnock and Active Travel Hub Air. For those who don't know us, both hubs operate out of the train stations in their respective town centres and work to promote active travel to the general public, to workplaces and community groups. We want to make it easier for everyone to access walking and cycling and to see them as better alternatives to taking the car. Whilst we're all currently working from home, we're still here to help and you can call, email or contact us through social media and we hope you'll love our new podcast, Walk It, Bike It, Ayrshire. Hello everyone and thanks for joining for the second episode of the Walk It, Bike It, Ayrshire. Um, my name's Holly and I'm joined today with, by my colleague Amy. Hello. And we're very excited to be joined by Shagufta Amwar from Bike for Good. So just a little introduction about Shagufta. So Shagufta takes the lead on all things cycling at Bike for Good, community hub in Govan Hill in the south side of Glasgow. Shagufta tells us she started her career in the motor industry, which we were surprised to hear. As since then, she's worked as the climate change project manager for Almazan, a local charity for Muslim women and children. And obviously her main role at Bike for Good is to encourage people out of cars and onto bikes. Living in Govan Hill myself, I can say that Shagufta is a well-known name and face, volunteering her time for brilliant causes when she's not busy being working or being a mum. So thank you very much for dedicating some time to join us today. Um, You're very welcome, ladies. <laughs> and so firstly, <laughs> mainly just because we're intrigued, um, what job was it that you did in the motor industry? <laughs> Goodness, I was um, after sales communications manager and I lived and worked in London at the time. And it was just kind of a natural fit where I was there. There is a big kind of motor industry presence. Um, kind of Ford have their... Um, kind of main um, plant and, and kind of uh, beside the London and um, General Motors who kind of took over Saab, uh, Vauxhall and Chevrolet um, like had a big base in Luton so car manufacturing was like everywhere, see it um, etc were in Milton Keynes so they were all kind of within 20-30 miles um, of each other so it actually seemed natural there and I wasn't really the person I was today so <laughs> very, So very different from the, the jobs and things that you do today was it in London that you first got into cycling yourself no I didn't actually I cycled as a child um and then probably on holidays abroad etc but never really in the UK um, and it was actually Almazan um where I started cycling um again I took on the role uh, as a climate change project manager and again um my background was not climate change at all I took it on with a project manager hat on and it kind of worked I had two young children at the time I was kind of getting back into work it worked flexibly I had a team and it was quite it seemed like quite an exciting project um, and that's how I got into cycling so one of the aspects was sustainable transport um, and we set up a cycling club which in the end worked with about 100 women uh, getting them cycling as well as um they're hordes of children and let me say there was hordes because <laughs> in the building I think there's 1600 people registered and at the weekends and at evenings there could be like three four hundred people in the in the building um, wow so, yeah that and sounds... when we were doing cycling everybody wanted to be part of that that sounds amazing that sounds really exciting and so you were helping other people get into cycling but also getting into cycling and relearning your love for cycling Yourself. Yeah, well, we started with ourselves. So I got a group of uh, myself and a group of kind of staff and vol keen volunteers, uh, and we uh, we 
we got in touch with the, the bike station, um, which is now Bike for Good, uh, the current organisation I work for. And we did like a ride leader course where then we got some refurbished bikes. Um, and then we developed on to doing the cycle trainer course. And then from there, we just started leading rides and teaching people to cycle, etc. Um, and it just really kind of started on from there. So even while I was in that role, I had a very, very um, positive image of Bike for Good. So it was almost when a role came up a couple of years later, um, apart from the mechanics, which I'm, I'm really not good at, that was the only thing that scared me. Um, it felt like it was just perfect for me. And to be honest with you, it has been. It sounds, it sounds like it's all kind of like rolled and it's all progressed quite nicely for you then. Um, yeah, completely. So in terms of cycling, what is it that you love about cycling yourself? And why do you want to get others into cycling? It is, for me, um, and the group of people that I've always kind of worked with, it's the freedom aspect, uh, not having to kind of wait for buses, not uh, high costs kind of associated with vehicles, etc. The freedom that it gives you, but more than that, it's like the, the power over kind of controlling your own physical and mental health, um, and that has always been like a, a big aspect, particularly with the kind of BEME community. Um, the community that I worked with at Almazan, they were quite affluent, they, they had big cars, and quite a lot of them did I mean, question what we were doing and why we were doing it. Like, why would I leave my 5 Series BMW and go on a bike? Um, so it was, it seemed quite odd to them. Um, our kind of, our interested user base at first were younger, kind of younger mums who were maybe looking to get back into cycling or kind of get fitter and do sessions with um, with their kids as family sessions, etc., family rides, etc. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it started on. Um, but I was inspired into it by um, a friend who's a, a lady who's a really, really good friend of mine, Mahnoor. And she was in her 50s and she was a first generation Pakistani lady where um, she didn't really have an opportunity to do that in Pakistan. It wasn't culturally the right thing to do. She wore the kind of long abaya, which, um, you know, some people might find restricting while cycling. Yeah. And she had a number of health issues as well. But she just did it. And she's so passionate about it. And to this day, she's still so passionate about it. Every spare minute, weekends, holidays, she's a teacher by background. She's teaching people or she's borrowing a bike to give somebody um, um, practice, etc. So just cycling is, is all her life seems to be about. And I was very, very inspired by her um, and her effect. And so it had a massive effect on me. And we still cycle together to this day. Um, so I actually roped her into taking a secondment from her role from teaching to work with us for a year. She had an amazing effect on um, the users because you have to lead by example. I mean, I am a car driver. I've got two young children. Um, our school is seven miles away. So our main mode of transport for transport is, is the vehicle. But that's not to say that every opportunity we get, we don't cycle as a family or we don't run our errands, etc. by bike. So it's about, um, for me, it was you have to kind of lead by example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, 100%. And having other role models around that are doing that and that you can relate to is, is really important, isn't it? Definitely. I have a role where I have this, I, I am paid to do what I do um and i love it um but she does it voluntarily a lot of the times for people and i just i admire people like that and there's a whole group of us actually um and everybody there's another another lady who's also got quite a lot of health issues um but she's forever teaching people and her family or friends etc getting people out and bike rides and so it's just really really nice to see it's lovely yeah that sounds absolutely brilliant she sounds great can i ask something at this point just when you're talking about the groups that you start up and things do you find it or have you found it difficult to actually get people to come along? Do you have to twist people's arms? Or when you're putting the word out there that you're doing these things, do you find folk are, are into it and they come along quite easily? 
it's, it's a real mixed bag, to be honest with you, I would say, um, Amy, the, there are, especially when we set up the Bike for Good Hub in Glasgow South uh, to start off with, people were a little bit weary. I remember once we had an event outside and so we always do like a number of things when we have events. So we'll have like kids, like a kids station, we'll have like puncture repair, we'll do like teas and coffees, we'll do henna, we'll do arts and crafts, we'll do like I have all of our kind of fleet bike out and display so people can try them. Um, so we'll have a number of different things and two ladies walked by and I was like, oh we had a smoothie bike, I was on a smoothie bike that day. And I said to them, why don't you pop on, come on in? And she says, no, 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 Hen, this isn't for me. And I says, we've got tea and coffee, like coffee and cake. Who isn't that for? Yeah. And, and then, she, you know, she spent, the, both of the ladies, they spent the whole afternoon in the hub. And that's, for us, it's about um, finding the, the thing that, can, uh, that brings people in and luring them in almost. So food is always a, a big one. Yeah, um, definitely. And, once people are in, you know, they kind of drop their barriers and they actually find out what you're about. You know, they find out that you're a charity. They find out that you're, you're working with people and getting them cycling. They find out that you're providing um, bikes for it. I mean, we try and reduce everybody's barriers. So we provide bikes. We provide lessons. We don't ask for any money. Um, we work with children. We work with women. We work with everybody. So we try and reduce their barriers as much as possible. We even provide um, waterproof clothing because not everybody is kitted up from from day one so that's kind of one element of it where you do have to encourage people but then on the plus side we the days that we're out teaching like in the local park we get so many queries in for cycle lessons and lead rides because they see people doing it mm -hmm. and we almost get like an influx and we can't keep up with demand sometimes so it's kind of it's a real mixed bag um that sounds great. I think having Bike for Good so close to Queen's Park and having people actually seeing you out and about doing the things really helps, doesn't it? Then people come to yeah. ask and then they come to you and yeah, definitely. Um, so you've, you've already um, mentioned a couple of the projects that Bike for Good do. You were saying cycle lessons and everything's free and it sounds like you're really addressing some of the barriers that people have such as free bikes and waterproof clothing. Um, can you tell us about a bit just a bit more detail really about some of the projects that you um, or yeah. activities you run at Bike for Good? So we've got um, we've got three themes that we work across. So there's active travel, which is what I head up. Um, and active travel is really focused on getting people out of cars and onto bikes as, and, and climate change, um, reducing, uh, um, improving air quality, reducing carbon emissions and, you know, creating a better, greener world is kind of our main aim. So we provide everything. So we provide loan bikes to people to get them started. We do maintenance lessons. We do cycle lessons. We do lead rides. We do lots of kind of events and lots of kind of film nights, particularly at the moment when everything's online. Um, we provide all of that under the kind of active travel banner. So banner so anything that really reduces people's barriers um we've also got like an e-cargo pilot um that we're e-cargo bike pilot that we're doing at the moment working with businesses trying to get them to kind of reduce their impact by just kind of trying a, a cargo bike rather than like maybe a small van etc so that's active travel we've also got health and well-being which might have you might have seen my colleague in the background he heads that up and that's working with like groups of people across glasgow where physical and mental who have physical and mental health issues so a lot of it is, does tend to be people that are kind of on the poverty line or it will be people that are refugees and asylum seekers particularly the kind of bame community so we do blocks of sessions with them where we can teach them to cycle or get them back on a bike um, and then we'll kind of train up a few kind of 
um, almost like ambassadors within them and kind of give them access to bikes or get them in touch with funding which can provide bikes. So we kind of leave them sustainable so we don't just like do a 10 week block and then kind of leave them. Um, and then we provide support um, after that as well. And that then the third, um, the third arm is skills and development. Um, and that manages all of the kind of maintenance side of things, fix your own bike sessions. And a kind of big part of that is our volunteer programme. So here at the moment, we've probably got about 50 members of staff, full-time, part-time. Wow, it's a big team. Volunteers. So volunteers are a big part of our organisation and we can't survive without them. And some of them are great. They come with like mechanical experience or lead ride experience, but others come just because they're passionate about cycling. So we provide a lot of those things, give them... Um, mechanical skills we give them opportunities to work with people for example I'm running a few red, uh, led ride courses at the moment and cycle training courses where those volunteers will then carry on teaching other people and leading rides in their communities or as a kind of paid employment if they wanted as well um, so that's the kind of three arms of what bike for good do on the charity side well that sounds it sounds absolutely amazing. I was just thinking, right, we need to up our game. Oh, but then when you said you had 50, 50 members of staff, I was like, all right, there's only, there's only like five of us. Um, but that's, How many yeah. volunteers? How many volunteers did you say you have? We, had, we have got about 70 at last count. Um, and to be honest with you, at the moment, I, I check through one of the kind of South emails da daily um, and we get a couple of requests every week. But just because of COVID at the moment, we unfortunately aren't taking on new mm applicants but there's a there seems to be a steady in fact even more of a steady stream now than before maybe people are furloughed maybe people have lost their jobs etc so quite a lot of people looking for volunteering opportunities definitely i think people are looking for purpose and and definitely i think just cycling in general has just boomed mm. during lockdown hasn't it so i think people are, are thinking more cycling um, and getting excited about it in general yeah, um, they have. But do you know what? I've actually seen, I've, I've actually been hearing, and I'm trying to kind of do some own research as well, conflicting stories. There was a big boom. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, there's been once lockdown kind of finished, kind of probably more August time, there's a higher than previous um, car use as well. Mm, yeah, um, definitely. So, I mean, my issue is obviously, I, uh, is active travel obviously a lot of people took it up for leisure cycling yeah. so our our job is to try and convert those leisure cyclists into active travelers getting them to think about it for more than just exercise or more than just running a quick errand or more than just kind of going out for family but you have to start somewhere if somebody doesn't cycle and you say to them i want you to leave your car and go by bike they're never going to get there so you do small baby steps and sometimes I've got two particular volunteers um, and they started working with us through the um, women's program probably about two years ago and they came on some lessons they went on some rides and I remember every couple of months you know I'd have this conversation with them and I'd say you know are you at that stage where you, you can just cycle about yourself and they'd be like no, no 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 you know we're not at that stage and then two weekends ago I went on a lovely ride with them up to Dams to Darnley and it was 20 miles and it was really fast paced um, the, our volunteer that was leading it um, is a, a fantastic road cyclist and has done recently done the NC500. She was leading it and they were superb. And I said to them and I said, they probably won't mind me using their names, Mandy and Carmel. And I said to them and I said, you know, just last year I was saying, could you do this in your own? And they were saying no. And I said, now look at you. Now look at where you're cycling, the level your cycling has taken that, you know, you can do such an amazing cycle. And it was, it was, it was steep hills. And they said, no, no, we're not going to be able to go up that hill. I mean, I don't know whether you guys know Darnley, but yeah, it it's is. quite hilly, isn't it? <laughs> the first time I did it, I had to walk up it on my bike. But, you know, yeah. slow and steady, slow and steady, everybody managed. And it was amazing because it's like, this is my target. And then, you know, they break that and then 
they just aim higher and higher and higher so it's brilliant that is the best thing about this this job because obviously we do we do similar things and and actually just when you meet someone at first and their confidence and their expectations and then when they go on to beat that and then they just mm. and they fall in love with cycling really or you know just being out out and about and free, like you said the freedom that it brings and it's, another example she's a lovely lady called Tanvir and she's quite quiet quite docile and she would come in um she would come into the hub and she would just borrow a bike um and she would do this a couple of times a week so you know I said to her a few times we do you know you, you do less and we do lessons we can either take you out in lead rides and she was just, just like no no no, just want to take out a bike and just kind of practice myself and then I think one day she had like a mechanical issue with the bike um I, I can't even 100% remember but I went out with her and I did a little lesson with her um, and she came back and she was so excited. She said, I got more from that hour than I have in all of my other cycling sessions. So then she started coming into the ladies' uh, regular drop-in program. And then one day I came in and it was like, she'd brought in like about a dozen ladies and it was all ladies like the BME, BME community. Um, and you know, half of them couldn't, uh, couldn't speak English. So, you know, they were translating for each other. They just dropped their children off, they'd go on for a walk and then come here. And a couple of them are a bit apprehensive. So they were saying, no, no, we're just going to wa watch. And I said, that's okay. Um, so six of them went out in the end. Um, and then the next week, a couple more of the remaining ones that were just watching then said, oh, we're, we're interested in taking part. And that to me is a real ambassador because this lady brought herself in almost just wanted to teach herself she and, and then from there she's telling everybody about it and I met her I met her and her daughter in Silverburn one day and our daughter said she says honestly see the days mum goes cycling she says she's so happy and she goes it's just like oh. she's bringing her step and it's just it's lovely to hear stories like that yeah 100% it's, that's a yeah, great story that's so oh, nice yeah. um uh well it sounds like you've already well you've already kind of um touched a little bit on the lockdown and and kind of how that's affected cycling as a whole but how how did that affect your your work at bike for good because were you still able to continue with some of your activities or you know what were you able to run and what were you not able to run and so initially when it happened we kind of ground to a halt um, and I think at that point everybody thought it, you know it's only going to be three weeks nobody really realized how long this was going to carry on for so we closed for two or three weeks and, you know, we had to, and we needed that time, I think, to just think about how we were going to implement yeah, the new world. So we did a lot of health and safety. We got in a new company that did um, Atlas, who, who kind of helped us through like COVID risk assessments and various other things. And we got a training program in place. So we kind of, a lot of our workshop teams were furloughed, our community outreach team are funded. So they were still kind of carrying on and we were it was it was a busy time because it was kind of the end of one financial year so we we're busy writing reports um and busy kind of planning for like the next year so taking a couple of weeks out of not doing delivery wasn't a bad thing so we were thinking you know we'll be able to plan and, and finish off tie up those loose ends etc and then we kind of realized in fact it was users people were messaging us saying you're an essential service you're allowed to be open like you're an essential service so we we started doing a few things so first of all we worked with on, on for my team we worked with just key workers so we had a key worker bike loan program um and we did virtual bike buddies and virtual route planning so we would kind of meet them with very little contact trying to do everything kind of online as much as possible um and provide bikes for them um, and we probably over the uh, over about six months worked with about 90 people um, who were you know from the NHS supermarkets etc essential key workers who were scared 
of traveling in public transport um, or wanting to or working longer shifts and maybe public transport etc wasn't working or you were just kind of looking at the roads and thinking there's hardly any traffic this is a great time to kind of start etc um, so that was really exciting um, and our health and well-being team um, carried started doing a lot of food deliveries for people who were isolating so they would do food medicine and money um, drops um, using the kind of cargo bike so that was kind of the core of what we were doing and then slowly slowly as each kind of stage um, happened we opened one hub we did essential repairs for key workers essential bike sales for key workers and then we opened up the other hub um, and then slowly slowly with each stage we just started reintroducing everything um, until probably about tier three where everything was pretty much running and obviously there's a few things that have cancelled now but we've we've had a lot of time to adjust um, so we're doing a lot more this time round, despite the fact that we're in tier four than we would have than we did in the original lockdown uh, but it's all kind of within um, Scottish government guidelines and British cycling guidelines which is great that's brilliant it sounds like you you definitely kept afloat and kept kept going throughout lockdown and it was it was hard wasn't it at first people you know no one knew what was going to happen and like you said everyone did think it was going to be three weeks or a short amount of time and um we've definitely all had to adapt our working quite a lot haven't we i know and and zoom calls is the way things are you know when i've always like the few times that i come into the hub i'm exhausted by the end of it because i actually see people and i probably have more conversations whereas you come onto a zoom call and you're like right what's the agenda what are the minutes actions from previous one and you just you're just straight into it you, you miss out a lot of that social interaction yeah 100 percent. and that's that's um it's an important thing i think about working with people and working with people in the community seeing people face to face and and just in the flesh i think that's quite that's a very important thing um okay fab and then if you is there any more have you got anything else in the pipeline obviously it's tier tier four at the moment so you know um quite a lot of restrictions still in place but is there anything that kind of bite for good like changing i've got in the pipeline coming up that they kind of weren't doing before lockdown we're uh, yes so there's a few things um one of my colleagues zen is working on a christmas kids bike project um zen is a fantastic young individual he's come through the community job scotland program so it's a program for kind of young people who haven't got kind of left education without any kind of any qualifications and don't have employment so it kind of puts them into employment and pays for their salary um, and that's on the, the onus is on the organization to kind of give as many skills in that as possible so he's been with us nearly in fact he has been with us for a year now and he's taken on board this project which is his idea and he's doing it himself is to give um vulnerable uh, sorry um young kids from um impoverished backgrounds bikes so he's using like a team of volunteers to build bikes um, and any staff that he can persuade um, and he's giving them out to kids who otherwise wouldn't have a very lovely Christmas at all. Um, so that's something really quite exciting. Obviously we've not publicly not said too much about it uh, because you don't want to overpromise and, and underdeliver. and um, oh, yeah. Glasgow's a big place, there's lots of kids. So we're working yeah. with a few local charities and partners to deliver that project. Um, and we, to be honest with you, we're trying to recommence um, kind of food deliveries and various other things at the moment, working with some partners as well, just because there'll be a lot more people in isolation. But we're doing that on top of what we were kind of doing before rather than instead of. So it's incredibly hectic. 
It sounds really hectic, <laughs> but it sounds really exciting. And that sounds like an amazing project. Um, so wish him all the best with that. Um, I'll tell him you got a shout out. <laughs> good stuff. Um, so just just more moving back a little bit more to the work that you did at Almazan. Um, mm -hmm. So it sounds like it was a really interesting project. And when you were saying that you were getting hundreds of children and women um, along to your rides and things, um, that that's amazing. Um, so yeah, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? So we didn't get, um, part, uh, apologies if I, I kind of missaid that. So we didn't get hundreds of people coming to our rides, but we set up a cycling club, which okay. had about 100 people in it. So Almazan um, was a charity, uh, is a charity, not was, sorry, um, for designed for Muslim women. Um, and with Muslim women, obviously, come kids um, a lot of the time. So all of the kind of classes system was set up with kind of nurseries and, and kids program and adults program. So that's how the cycling club began. Um, and so we would work with the women kind of predominantly throughout the week ad hoc. We would do cycle lessons and led rides, etc. And then the kids through kind of structured programs, maybe through summer school program or like an Easter program, etc. Or the kind of evening programs. Um, the kids sessions were always hectic because you maybe have 20, 30 um, children all working at one time. Um, whereas the, the ladies, it was a handful at a time. They were a lot shyer and quieter. And you probably had to do a more encouraging with them, whereas you were kind of holding um, the kids back. But a lot of those women have now, like I said, they've become ride leaders. They're cycling with their families. Um, they are going on to teach other people. So it's had a real kind of knock-on effect um, on them, which has been fantastic. That sounds absolutely brilliant. And is that is that a women's cycling group, is that still still ongoing then? Not officially through Almazan because um, the kind of funding finished and the people that were paid to be there aren't there anymore. But individually, a lot of those people went and got bikes. They got ride leader training. They got cycle training. Um, they, you know, they got mechanical skills. So individually, they're all kind of doing their own thing within that. Like I said, Mahnoor was one of them. You know, she's she's probably teaching half a dozen people a week. Um, Cherie um, is another really fantastic um, member of that club. And she has got a lot of her family cycling. She's even like taking them cycling, um, like when they've been abroad, whereas her family would never really have done that. Um, and she's been teaching lots of kind of young people to cycle. Um, there's a few other people they've, they've, um, they've done kind of some personal best. So they've kind of set themselves targets. So they've done things like um, Pedal for Scotland when it happened and a few other kind of charity rides where they've kind of pushed themselves to do maybe 40, 50 miles um, and, and kind of got their families to do that. So not in an official capacity under Almazan, but they're all, there's a, there's probably about two dozen of them that are kind of doing that work, um, etc. And we're in a WhatsApp group and, you know, we all share, I'm available Monday night, does anybody want to go for a ride roughly around this time, etc. So we do um, bump into each other um, and go cycling every other week. That's amazing. It sounds like definitely the legacy of, of that has, has definitely continued and actually, yeah, empower, empowering them women to go off and do that by themselves is, is, is the, the main aim, isn't it, really? That's the, yeah. the ultimate goal. Um, so just talking about barriers, um, just about women in general, do you think there's, um, what, women, what, what barriers do you think women, women face to cycling? And, and specifically, um, maybe women from the BME community? I would probably say um, it's about safe places. I, I know we've done some kind of focus group research on, um, particularly on the mechanic side of things. Um, a lot of my colleagues, and particularly in the workshop, are male. 
um, a lot of our volunteers are male. They come in and it's a very kind of male environment. So a lot of them sometimes feel uncomfortable to go in and take their bike to get serviced or to come and purchase a bike when they don't know enough about it. So those kind of barriers. And there's a number of different things that we're doing to address that. Um, one of the things is that we've, when I started three years ago, there's a lot more female staff yep. working at Bike Free Good. We've got a lot more volunteers um, and we've got a lot more kind of women's programs. So all of um, the kind of pedal pathways, which is the women's program um, that started about two years ago from that was a spin-off, um, which is Spokes Not Blokes, which is a kind of maintenance program once a month. Yep. Um, yep. And now actually we're in chats to kind of do um, a women of colour kind of diversity group um, and do kind of rides and specific bespoke programs for them. So I would probably say that's the kind of maintenance side of it and the bike knowledge side of it is like one big barrier. But other barriers could be clothes, you know, they don't want to be lycra clad. So we've got, I mean, I've got lots of colleagues who wear kind of normal clothes when they're cycling, as do I. I mean, I don't have a specific cycling um, outfit. Uh, and so it's about talking to each other about those things. We just did a lovely call actually last week about um it was hot tips for cold no cold tips for hot cycling or the other way around i can't remember which way. <laughs> and it was, about, it was a group of people and there was about 20 people and the vast majority of them were female and we were kind of sharing how we carry on cycling through the window and how do we keep warm so we went through clothing and we went through keeping ourselves safe and different things so it was really really lovely um to chat to each other about those things and it was interesting that it was mostly women um and then kind of moving on to kind of BME um, community, culture and religion is kind of a big barrier. A lot of people feel that maybe it's not part of their religion, they maybe don't know. And that's why kind of my work at Al Mizan was really important because we were, we were telling Muslim women, it's actually got nothing to do with your religion. It's like a, it's just a, a perceived barrier um, and there's nothing kind of stopping you getting on that. So you have to do that by leading by example. And then cultural barriers. Um, a lot of the women I worked with at Al Mizan, and even in Govan Hill, like a, a big portion of the community is from kind of Asian subcontinent, you you had a bike when you didn't have a car. So you were in Pakistan, like maybe a couple of generations ago, um, and your ancestors had bikes because they couldn't afford cars. But we're here and now have cars. So you know why would you make the switch? So there's those kind of perceived barriers. Um, and then there's the kind of Muslim clothing element of it. Um, Muslim ladies do tend to wear clothes that are kind of longer, looser, that don't show off their figure. And obviously those are the things that might get caught in bikes, etc. So there's that kind of perceived barrier that, you know, maybe I need to wear something different and etc. So there's, there's lots of those kind of barriers. We do regularly kind of do focus groups via Bike for Good, just keeping in touch with our users because somebody might be have a barrier and we've not thought about it or we've not got it covered. So we probably do it at least on a yearly basis. Um, and we in introduce new things. So we're constantly chatting to people about new projects or new funding streams um, and different ways that we could develop. That sounds brilliant. That sounds like you're definitely a focus group and asking people. Um, that's one of the main things. So uh, you've, you've, you've touched on, on most of those things that I was going to ask just your last, the last question I was going to ask you was just, um, what do you think we can do to reduce barriers and make cycling more inclusive for all? But you, you've already touched on a few of those things. Um, but if there's anything else you'd like to like to add. We really need to, we need to develop things that are specifically for people who are, um, who find cycling inaccessible. So whether that's, um, I read a report recently um, and I can't remember where it was. I'll have to dig it out, Holly, and, and send it to you guys. But it was saying um, people with disabilities, people that are older, people of the BME community, um, females, and I can't remember what the fifth category was, that those all people have more 
barriers to cycling than anybody else. And it was actually, apart from disabilities, which unfortunately we, we don't focus on, we're not specialists in that at all, but Freewheel North, kind of down the road, we, you know, we direct people into them. They've got a lot of adapted bikes. I would probably say most of the others, we, we oh, ill health. Ill health was the kind of fifth one. Um, most of the others we do focus on. So it's about focusing projects on people that are for mental, um, uh, physical and mental health or particularly for women or particularly for the BME community. You have to target those people who find it inaccessible and, and make those things accessible to them. So is it lack of bikes? Is it lack of training? Is it a language barrier? Like what are the barriers? And then break them down um, in order to do that. Um, for example, at the moment, um, I am working with a local charity called Izaro. And they've got some funding for asylum seekers and they're doing they're putting them through kind of lead ride programs um, and they want to just they don't want to just leave it there they can't afford a bike so the, the funding covers them to teach them um, how to do the ride leader course as well as provide a bike and lock and helmets etc so we're working with them to kind of provide those 21 people with um, um, kit that they can so that they can tr uh, access, find um, access all of Glasgow um, asylum seekers obviously get very little and you know public transport excuse me can be expensive so yeah, by giving them access to a bike and giving them the skills to cycle and get about the city um you know that can improve um life uh, or quality of life dramatically for people brilliant oh well thank you so much for that that was really really interesting and lots of food for thought and everything takeaway messages there um yeah. so thank you very much for that thank you could talk to you all day it's so interesting <laughs> yeah oh. Thank you. I could talk all day. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely get in touch with um, a few more contacts. It sounds like you've got lots of contacts that might be brilliant to interview for further, further podcasts. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much for giving up your time today and answering all those questions and um, being so passionate and excited. And we'll, um, we'll keep an eye out for Bike for Good. Um, and what's in the pipeline and we'll post um, a link to bike for good on our podcast um, on our podcast site as well um, brilliant. So, fantastic brilliant thank you so much ladies no worries at all all right okay, have a great day thanks bye, -bye. <laughs> bye. thanks so much The Erin Kilmarnock Active Travel Hubs are South and East Ayrshire Council-led projects delivered in partnership with Sustrans and supported by the Smarter Choices, Smarter Places programme from Paths for All.